All right. All right, everybody, what is going on? What's up, Animoka? How we doing out here? How we feeling? Good, good. We've got an awesome space coming up today. Awesome space coming up today. Behind the best Web3 games, tokenomics, and game design. Woo! It's an absolute honor to be up here helping moderate this chat. My name is Squiddy. I'll be moderating this today on behalf of our friends at Animoca. We've got some awesome guests in the house. Really great to see the Animoca team coming up here, doing their thing, talking to the people, giving some insights on, on what these amazing professionals are able to do, how they're contributing to the space. Uh, I'd like to take the time right now to kind of um, go around and get some introductions with some people here that are on the space that are going to be talking. First, I want to again go around the table and get some get some interest here. First up, uh, Mark, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what what you do here with Animoca? Hey, sure. Yes, um, I'm a game director with Animoca, so I'm working with the Chucknonks team. Um, Basically, my background is in game design, so I've, I've been making games for about 15 years. Um, all kinds of games from indie, mobile, um, free-to-play, AAA, uh, VR, um, and now um, Web3 games. Um, so, so yeah, a lot of what I do at Animoca is, is helping uh, steward you know, how, how projects can integrate um, tokenization into their games. And, and obviously, first and foremost, making sure that the games are, are fun and uh, accessible and... Uh, have strong economies. Awesome, very nice. Thank you for the intro. Next up, we've got Jerry. Jerry, what's going oh, on? I'll go next. I'm uh, Mohammed. Right, okay. I work with the tokenomics team and Mark specifically and Emilio on game design, systems, content, and economies. Mainly focused on Mochaverse these days. Uh, been gaming for seven years. Uh, sorry, making games for seven years. I've been gaming for around twenty-eight or so. And, um, yeah, excited to be here. All right, Oka. Really, really happy to have you here. Excited to get to know you a little bit better. What a great intro. Now we'll go to Jerry. What's up, Jerry? Thanks, Oka. Thanks, Oka. Jerry, you're meant, um, for, you're yeah. meant for number three anyway, too. I feel like three is a good lucky number for you. Yeah, I think so as well. I like number three. <clears throat> so um, my name is Jerry. I'm a tokenomics analyst here at Animoca Brands. Uh, and I use my experience in the space to design and implement token economies to help strategically take them to market. So we work really closely with our game design colleagues. Um, so a bit about myself. In the past, I used to work as a buyer for car parts, then in finance. So I often view things in more of a value accrual lens. So I try to leverage my experience on how products or businesses generate value. And now I focus on constructing these online ecosystem and economies, finding them Web3 tooling and solutions to help facilitate their interactions that generates velocity uh, for these tokens. And that's both in uh, NFTs and FTs. So in my free time, I I think I just scroll crypto Twitter. Oh, yeah. No, that's, all, all, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all jokes that's aside, I, I do like spending. The culture. Yeah, it's the culture. Yeah, scrolling crypto Twitter. But uh, there's more to it than that. So I also like looking at um, art, digital and physical art. So that's how I really got into the the crypto space um, and I really see value in notarizing digital assets at the moment 
um, providing that liquidity in the market and really for us to support what we love and realize that the thousands of hours we spend in gaming, for example, is no, is not really worthless. We're actually creating something of value that someone finds meaningful and there's some sort of uh, memorabilia uh, aspect to that as well. Awesome. That is a, that's a great intro. Appreciate it. Excited to hear insights more on the space. Next up, we've got Emilio. Welcome to the space, Emilio. Tell us a little bit about yourself and a quick little introduction. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm Emilio. Um, I'm a senior tokenomics analyst at uh, Animoca Brands. Um, similar to Mark, my background is in gaming. So um, in another life, I would say, I, I, I used to be, a, well, I still am, but I used to be a, a game economy designer. Um, so I always look at things from like uh, demand and supply, you know, trying to balance games, um, you know, from from user demand uh, in terms of, let's say, how to properly um, create those incentivization loops um, and then therefore foster positive value pool for users, you know, when the game, so, you know, giving them that proper dopamine hits um, whenever they feel like successful, a completion of an activity, whether it's a core, macro or meta loop. Um, so I, I worked at uh, AAA, did mobile as well and uh been delving into web3 and web3 economies the last uh, three years very cool and, and last but most certainly not least my man mo what's going on mo great to see you again hi good to see you too how you doing buddy you okay oh i'm fantastic man i get to talk with you guys and the animoca team and get to learn more about you know blending tokenomics and gameplay man i'm pumped i'm jazzed on this monday on this uh Wednesday morning here in Miami, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, I'm the head of tokenomics and Animoca Brands. I work very closely with, again, Emilio, Mark, Oka, Jerry, and a few of our other colleagues as well. And it's, it's really, how can we take an idea or a business and where does Web3 fit into that from the chain selection, from what governance looks like, from how to grow the ecosystem, from getting it from an idea phase to an implementation where it's then sustainable in the long run and really trying to solve that problem. Um, bit of background, I come from a mathematics background and an education background. I was a high school teacher for 10 years, um, which surprises a lot of people, but I think a lot of the thought processes and, and, and the ethos that aligns really with the ethos of Web3, which is the idea of, of true digital ownership having a say in the ecosystems that you're a part of, being able to add value, being able to take out value as well. Um, and yeah, just trying to bring the mission forward in terms of adoption. Awesome, very great. Again, we've got a, an awesome list of topics to kind of dive into here. We're gonna go for about the hour. And if we have some time, Guys, have your questions ready. We might be able to bring up some people here to ask some questions directly to the team. And if you got them, feel free to drop them in the comments. And if you haven't done so already, and I like to mention I'm not a math major here, let's retweet the space. Let's get this space on out and blessed to different timelines here. Uh, there might be a mocha idea or two uh, available to, to grab. So, again, hit that retweet button. Let's show some love to our speakers. Let's show some love to our friends in Animoca. So hit the retweet button, drop a like, drop a comment if you're here rocking and you're excited. Let's, let's show some love. But we're going to dive right into it. First and foremost, uh, I've, got a, I've got a simple question that anybody here can answer. What, what is tokenomics for anyone who might not be familiar with the art? This could go to anybody who wants to kind of kick this one off. 
Well, go on. I'll I'll go for it. Um, but then, guys, I want you guys to, to, to jump up afterwards and own it. Um, so tokenomics is uh, is an onion. There are many different layers to it. One of the layers that we see quite often is your allocations, your distribution, um, the pie chart, so to speak. But that's one of the layers within tokenomics. Other layers, governance is a very important layer as well. And how the different digital assets within a token ecosystem um, govern that ecosystem. Utility is, again, one of the big buzzwords. How can we actually use these tokens? So it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's different layers, behavioral psychology, standard economics, positive network effects, and how do you bake all of this into a pie chart, if you like. Um, yeah, it's, it's, the core, it's the glue that binds everything together in, in Web3. So we started as an onion and finished as a glue. Also, we know Shrek, Shrek likes tokenomics. Shrek is a tokenomics fan. Uh, anyone else want to kind of add to that to that definition of what tokenomics is? Anyone up here who's got yeah. uh, anything? I could jump in here. Um, to 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 I, I let Mo go first because in case I botch my answer, at least the head knows what he's saying. So, <laughs> and I'll just chime in for the crumbs. So, um, oh yeah, that's that's how to do it. <laughs> so for me, when I look at tokenomics, right, I look at it as, as a through a lens of um. You know, from a from an economy standpoint, but mostly from like what entices users, you know, to engage, what drives them, you know, from a gamification layer, but mostly what motivates them, right? So I think tokenomics does a great job at bringing home true ownership to users, right? Um, you know, through assets, um, you know, whether it's digital um, or fungible, whatever whatever case uh, flows, they're both there. But I think what really drives home for me with tokenomics is creating that positive um, core loop, right? Driving home. Um, proper proper incentivization structures to users that they feel that whatever they're warranting whatever time they've invested in is warranted right if i look at you know the game the game uh, industry as a whole a lot of the times you know we see we see um we see companies that you know unfortunately they close down or they have you know they have they, their assets being being pulled and tokenomics really removes that that barrier and gives users that um true ownership level but on a much more deeper deeper way than than ever thought possible right so I think for me, when designing tokenomics, uh, the heart of it is how can the user feel that the time invested they put in is warranted and they get what they put in back times 2x, times 3x, right? Really driving that home for them. All right. I love it. And then the next and, question is... Again, oh, I just want to ask something. To go. Yeah, please. Yeah, so in, in addition, I think Emilia made a great point about the economy. So how I see to tokenomics is from the economy aspect, how is value derived and accrued within it? So in the real world we live in, we spend our money on goods and services. And to uh, use these goods and services, we use certain infrastructure that's uh, created by our government. But when we design, uh, look at tokenomics, there's also infrastructure considerations within the Web3 space that we look for, in which how the users using the digital assets can, they own can use that, let's say, within games or within DAOs or other community structures, or maybe in a more applicable case like uh, social identity. So these are the elements that we also think of uh, when we look at tokenomics. That's, that's great. Great additional insight. And so say I'm someone, I want to start a game, right? 
I'm like, okay, I'm Squiddy. I'm ready to rock. And I want to build out a Web3 game. And we're going to talk to certain advisors and certain people to say, okay, how do I start? What do I do first? Uh, when you begin your advisory process, is it with the tokenomics aspect of the game or is it the game design? Like, is this a chicken and the egg sort of situation here? Uh, this goes out to anyone out in the crowd who would, who would come to answer. What, what comes first when it comes to wanting to make a great game? What's the first order of business that you should probably be handling? It's got to start with a great gameplay loop. Um, there's so many games launching in, in Web3 that don't even have a core gameplay loop. And, and the gameplay loop is just so important because it, it retains player engagement, right? So if you think of the core gameplay loop as basically the, the action the player is performing and the reward that they're getting for doing that, and, and it kind of provides an incentive to, to keep playing. Um, if you have a really solid one, you can build all these layers of economy on top. Um, but if you don't have a solid one, you get a really flat user experience. So the um, the gameplay doesn't change over time. And if the gameplay is not changing over time, people get bored, they drop off, and uh, they don't enter this kind of holy grail of what game designers call this flow state, where um, you know users are so engaged in the, in the thing that they're looking to accomplish uh, that they just stay engaged in that game. And that, that's a really powerful state, one, for making people feel good, uh, it's a sign of a great game, and, and two is for monetizing and for building an economy on top of that. <clears throat> I think to build on that as well, one of the one of the core elements that we do when we're sort of like working on a game is also understanding who we're building the game for. So who's our target audience? What are their intrinsic motivations? What are the best rewards for those motivations? And what we've seen, maybe to, to touch back on the previous question when it comes to game design and tokenomics, is that when it comes to Web3, not only are we designing for, you know, the, the gameplay personas that we, we've come to know over the years, we have frameworks for, and, and we're able to sort of deduce these, these gameplay habits that they have, but also the more speculative personas, more Web3 oriented, uh, financially focused personas. And it, it's more about, you know, what are the, what are these personas, first of all, because it's, you know, the space is relatively new and we're discovering, you know, new quote unquote metas for design every day. But it's also about, okay, how can we sort of like um, test this really fast, get feedback on it, see, you know, is it working with the community? or not and how we can iterate on it going forward and i think web3 is is a really you know um good testing ground for that in the sense that you know you see airdrop campaigns that are you know a couple of weeks long few weeks long and then you know you learn from that and on to the next one and and we're sort of like using these as sort of like um testing beds um to sort of understand you know these different personas their gaming habits the best reward incentives for you know, their, their motivations and, and how to best, you know, build a game or a meta game for, you know, these kind of, of uh, Web3 personas and, and the behaviors that, uh, that, you know, they exhibit in our games. To, 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 to finish that point um, from Mark and Oka, so fundamentally, when we're advising product, projects or things like that um, for tokenomics, you need a product. Um, bottom line, right? For for tokenomics, which sits on like the top of everything, you need to have a stable product. You need to have a good, like Mark said, a core loop. 
you know, you need to also, like like Oka said, understand your personas, understand who's participating in this, the stakeholders involved, right? Because tokenomics, what that does is it ties everything, you know, um, from top to bottom. And so when, when we're advising these different types of projects, you know, it's we need to understand, you know, fundamentally, what do you have? How are you bringing users? How are you keeping users? How are you engaging them? How are you retaining them? What's the virality of it, right? And then tokenomics basically does the web and flow of incentivizing everyone throughout the different loops um, and throughout all the different stakeholders. So for advisory purposes, you know, that's something that we kind of look at as a fundamental core piece. And one of the main pillars um, is the product itself. Because fundamentally, we, while we do do game design, um, you know, we, there is other aspects of advisory that we do touch on as well. But at the core, the product needs to be solid or else um, you know, it just all falls apart. I, I guess I guess to, to add to that, you asked chicken or egg, and you 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 can argue all of the answers there were maybe putting the product side first. But what Web three also allows you to do, um, the other side is you get to build up your community, you get to get funding, um, you get to test certain features out alongside the community over time. So it really is a chicken or egg problem in every individual case of of each independent project or product and then it depends what's the approach that's taking that's been that's taking place and more often than not it, it does look to be like a simultaneous or parallel approach at the same time where you are focused on the game building and the product side of things but then you're also maybe using nfts um to build community and engage communities on on the side and and i think with with yeah sorry i just sorry over to you squiddy no, continue, man. Please. No, I was—I was just going to say I'm—I'm I'm in the middle of a workshop, so this is going to be some alpha for you guys. Um, and if I think if you're US-based, this this will mean something. But Movie Pass is is doing Web three. Watch watch this space. So that's a, a bit of alpha drop for everyone listening in here. Um, if you're familiar, great. If not, get familiar. Um, and with that, it's going to be a mic drop and an exit from me. And I'm going to leave you guys in the safe hands of everyone else. But thank you guys very, very much. <laughs> I couldn't just leave partway through without, without drop, dropping something. So thank you, everyone. Please don't leave us. Please don't leave us, Mo. We need, we need you here. We need you here, my guy. Um, but that, that's great, too. So basically, you know, we got to make the fun game first is what I'm hearing, too. You got to make the game first because... You know, without a fun game, no one's really going to kind of care about the tokenomics of it because people are playing games to have fun and kind of dive into that, um, which leads me to my next question. What makes a good game design that can be tokenized? And I'm going to send this one over to Mark here. So what are some of like the specific things that you're kind of looking to do, you know, to have, be able to implement tokenization on top of a good game design? Yeah, so I think this goes back to my, my previous um, answer, which is basically, you know, you want to have a strong engagement loop in the game. I think a lot about level design, actually, when I'm thinking about games. And, and some people think level design is literally just like, you know, think about 3D games, right? So they think uh, level design is like, we're going to make the world, we're going to make it pretty and, you know, all the things for the players to do. And that's all fun and great. But really at the core of level design is is designing challenges, right? Is designing obstacles for players to overcome. And and this is really critical to to a game, right? Like you you need to have an obstacle, um, or else it's not a game by definition. So like if you take a game like golf, right? Golf is a relatively simple concept. Like you you have to get a ball in a hole, right? 
but the obstacle in golf is that you have to hit the ball with a with a um, club. Um, and by the way, the hole is actually uh, you know hundreds of yards away, and there's obstacles in the way. So like that's that's the obstacle. <clears throat> so in terms of game design, level design, um, it's necessary to have these obstacles, but it's also really important to pace these obstacles and and really make sure that the there's different variety of obstacles for the players. So, you know, as the player is getting used to something like, you know, take a game like Mario, like a basic platformer, right? The, the core skill in Mario is learning how, how to jump. You know, I've got to time my jumps, right? So I've got to jump on a Goomba's head or I've got to jump over a, um, a hole or <clears throat> or whatever. Um, but the way they do it is in Mario is basically just as you're getting adept at something, like pure jumping, they introduce a new, a new hazard. And you you actually have to to get better and try different things in parallel. So I think a good example of this is in a shooter game, right? Like the the core skill you're doing in a shooter game is is pointing the gun and firing the trigger, and hopefully you've lined it up and, and you've hit it. So you start with a a static target, and then you get a a moving target, and then you get a moving target that's shooting back at you, um, and then you get a limit, limited health system, and all of these things stacked together to actually produce uh, different levels of challenge. So to, to the, a long-winded answer to your question, Squiddy, was, is um, it's really important that there's this depth of challenges in games, right? If there's no depth in challenge, um, then we have very little leverage to build an economy onto. And, and how can we build an economy into challenges? Well, it's, it's basically like if you imagine that, you know, every time the player's leveling up in skill, we give them a new challenge. But the pace of the, the progression of the player doesn't always match one for one. Uh, the the difficulty that we're giving them. So sometimes they you know things are a little harder than they should be, uh, or things are a little easier than they should be, um, and that's where items in the game come in, and and the economy really comes to play, where people people have the optionality to to actually add items to their experience, which actually um, really bring a benefit to their experience. So without any of these challenges, without any of these these factors, you can build an economy, but it's generally very shallow and very kind of um, based on uh, numbers, right? Like, it's like, how many coins do I have in Mario, right? That's, uh, you can't really build an economy from that. Um, but in a shooter game like Destiny, you've got all of these different uh, items in the world that, that affect your progression. You've got, you know, your your weapons and how fast they shoot and, and you know, the upgrades that you put on the weapons and the sights and the scopes and all of these, these different things. So, yeah, sorry, that was a really long-winded answer. Now, the more the merrier, Mark. Again, it's great to hear these particular insights. And it leads me to the next question. Again, I, I know in your bio, you got game director slash tokenomics team. You do a little bit of both. We've got people of all different skill sets here. And I want to send this one to Oka here. Um, do you guys need skills in both tokenomics and game design to be part of the team? Or are, are specialists involved and you're able to kind of like play to each other's strengths? Mo, uh, Oka, can you kind of talk to me about um what the, the teamwork aspect looks like when it comes to designing these these games like this and whether or not you know, you're able to work with specialists or just able to to kind of bounce off of each other and playing as a team yeah for sure uh, that's a very interesting question i think um there has to be sort of like a basic understanding but at the same time i think we're really able to play off each other's strength and just having this uh, trust between us and transparency and knowing, you know, where you as an individual add value and where, you know, someone else on the team has stronger insight 
on a different subject matter and being able to leverage those for the the best of the project i, I think is very important and, and so funny story um previously uh, game design was a bit separate to tokenomics but then as we started to work very closely together we realized you know there's a lot of overlap between the two so it's like okay you know when it comes to incentive design it's like okay we do that for you know gamer personas but then you know the tokenomics team is really solid at understanding the motivations of the web3 personas um and the kind of you know intrinsic behaviors uh, they have the kind of extrinsic rewards that suit them best, the pace of, of giving out those rewards. So we started to realize that we both do incentive design, for example. Um, another, uh, you know, thing that we both do is in terms of game economy, right? The tokenomics team are very good at laying out, you know, the token inflow and the token outflow out of an economy. And then game design really focuses on, okay, so what, what are the systems in the game, you know, like Mark was saying, where, you know, token get released or, or, or tokens get sunk and how the player uh, uses these in the game world, right? And so we realized that we work very closely together. Um, and so rather than game design, for example, designing inflow and outflow, tokenomics would do that. Um, and we'd focus more on utility rather than tokenomics doing that. So it started off as this very organic relationships between uh, tokenomics and game design. And just as, as we worked together and realized, you know, where our strengths are, and it's, like I said, it's, it's organic. We, we just sort of like worked together and we started working together more and more and more. And we realized, you know, there's there's very strong overlap. Let's, let's sort of like make it official uh, within the company. And I, I think this is... This is sort of like, um, it, it's just been really good having it official because we just get to work in uh, with each other day in, day out and share the knowledge with each other internally um, and just sort of like leverage that to our advantage. So yeah, Squiddy, honestly, it's, it's, it's just been organic and it, it, it's just been great just having team members who are just as, you know, um, focused on the project and just as transparent as possible in knowing, you know, where their strengths lie and where they can rely on each other. So yeah, it's been organic and great. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, baby. Teamwork makes the dream work. Absolutely love to see it. Again, guys, we're rocking it here right now. We've got some legends from the Animoca team. We're talking behind the best Web3 games, tokenomics and game design. If you haven't already, hit that retweet button, drop a comment, Say what's up in the comments. Even just maybe just give us a wave. Ask some questions. We've got up to two Mocha IDs to give away uh, for some of the best questions that are asked for somebody who retweets the space. So make sure you're showing some love. Make sure you're showing some appreciation to what we've got going on here. Really starting to learn a lot. Um, I want to get Jerry involved next. This is really open up to the rest of the chat as well. I'm curious of how the integration of tokenomics enhanced the overall gaming experience in Web3 games. You know, we get into Web3 games because, you know, we want to bring more ownership to the players, right? We we get into Web3 gaming because we recognize that our, our time is, is valuable, right? Uh, instead of, we've all had those experiences where we're playing games, we're all gamers at heart, where we've spent probably way too much time diving into a game. We're not really maybe feeling that that return on investment with our time. So I want to start with Jerry here, and I'm curious on, on your thoughts on how the integration of tokenomics enhances overall gaming experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Squiddy. 
Yeah, so here's my, my take on this, right? There are a couple of facets that we can take into consideration. Um, so helping enhance our whole experience within Web3 games, ownership and asset control, as you mentioned, is something uh, that we emulate. So players have true ownership of the, their in-game assets. So the items and any sort of uh, tokens that represent inside the game can be owned, bought and sold, and there are no restrictions imposed by the game developers. And this level of control uh, significantly increases a player's engagement and their desire to invest their time and also money within the game. Uh, number two is uh, decentralized economies. So with tokenomics, it facilitates the creation of these decentralized economies within the games where the supply and demand dynamics are purely driven by each player's actions. Uh, so for example, the scarcity of any in-game asset uh, that can be minted or created may lead to value appreciation, mimicking real-world economic principles we see. And these players become natural stakeholders in the economy. They are incentivized to contribute positively to the ecosystem. And also with, uh, with the blockchain, we're able to create new forms of incentivization. So uh, very commonly we see in the space is airdrops, and this is why people are willing to spend their time um, within the different dApps in the games that are created. Another facet is interoperability and cross-game utility. So when we uh, use tokenomics, it allows us to bring assets to different games and platforms. So you may suddenly realize something that you, you own or purchased in one game can be potentially be used and brought to another. And this can be done by the support of the blockchain infrastructure. And it really enhances the game experience for, for players because they can ask, uh, they can leverage their assets and achievements across multiple gaming environments and also bring their reputation across so that they don't have to start from zero. So reputation is something um, that can be notarized on the blockchain so that the time we spend is recognized and also recognized by other people uh, that have not seen you before. Um, another aspect is community governance. So with Web3 Games, we can incorporate community governance to players through, through tokens, and then they can have a say in the development and some of the decision-making process of the game, like future development, any balancing issues, or in what ways can the community treasury be used to uh, generate more value and benefits for the people that are hodling or are participating in the games. So this way, the game evolves in the way the that reflects the desires and interest of your own uh, player base. So it's like a it's like a circular economy, and with this uh, ethos of Web three and, and open source, we're able to build something that most people desire. And I think uh, <clears throat> just finally to add, uh, with uh, blockchain and tokenomics, we're able to look at new innovative uh, gameplay mechanics. So, for example, the use of dynamic NFTs can represent uh, in-game achievements and certain tokens can also grant players special abilities or access to exclusive areas and once they are satisfied or have completed uh, the game or their custom or their options then they're able to transfer that to someone else that would appreciate it so something that they have uh, invested in or bartered for does not just uh, go to zero so I think I've mentioned quite a few um, so these these are the different elements that that we see Oh yeah, as the as the community maestro of Web3 Gaming, you know, I always love to hear how games get 
communities involved and how the community can able to get involved in some of these processes. That's definitely something that has opened up in Web3 that is, has not really been available uh, before in previous games. Uh, Amelia, we haven't heard from you too. Do you have anything to add to, uh, to, to this? How's the integration kind of enhanced overall game experience for you? I mean, so I think from a, I mean, uh, bottom line, I think Jerry, Jerry, Jerry covered a lot of good points. I think as a user, when it, the fundamentals of a good game, you know, of, of you know, a hard day of work, you come home, you know, what's the first thing that you want to do? You want to play X, Y, Z, right? Tokenomics um, allows you to to really hone in on on that type of, let's say, um, dopamine from actually achieving stuff. Not to say that Web 2 traditional games don't do that. I would say that because of the ability that we have to to you know have those network effects have that sharing capability have the ability to to flex online um and use that cross-pollination effect you know we start we can start to see you know how games can actually start incorporating these types of mechanisms um cross-platform as well right so for me like, like going back to let's say you know going home playing a game let's say i play world of warcraft right you know i i, I do whatever i get very far in in certain games i get certain achievements it would be super interesting if based on my engagement within the game, there was some mechanism that would correlate that type of uh, engagement to let's say Overwatch, right? And maybe because of my deep engagement and loyalty to a specific game, if I were to cross over to another game, um, you know, I would be rewarded for that, right? So I think tokenomics and, and the whole blockchain integration aspect enables for that. And I, and I believe thoroughly that a lot of Web3 uh, games are setting, you know, they're setting the groundwork for what we're going to see a lot of web two companies coming in, right? We have already Ubisoft that's 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 looking at you know um, launching something in here. We have Zenga also as well with Auras. So it's not going to be long until we have you know real AAA companies um, taking a good look at this, you know, and, and getting past the stigma you know, of NFTs being scams and so on and so forth, and creating these types of positive network effects within their game. Because as we see, you know, with the console wars, you know, like ten years ago. You know, when Xbox launched as well, you know, trying to take a piece of the pie, we're going to start seeing that type of um, not engagement farming, but but honing in on loyalty. Right. It's going to be a first mover type of thing. And I think once once the clock starts ticking, you're going to start seeing a lot of Web2 companies coming in. And that's where tokenomics was going to really enhance the gaming experience for the user. Finally. That is just some great answers, man. Very insightful. And then, Mark, I want to get you back involved here as well. Uh, I got a question for you. What are the key considerations and challenges in designing tokenomic models for Web3 games to ensure a balanced and sustainable in-game economy? And then uh, we can open up this one up to the rest of the speakers as well. Uh, this is this is complicated. <laughs> it very much depends on the game and the economy, right? So, like, one of the core things that we think about, um, I'd like to hear Emilio's answer to this question actually, but um, we think a lot about sinks and faucets, right? So like, what are the places where uh, players are spending tokens? What are the places where players are gaining tokens? Are those sinks and faucets balanced? Um, you know, is, is it tokens moving more in one direction than the other? Um, so that's obviously the, the biggest sign of whether they're um, uh, sustainable or not. Um, that said, just because something is immediately um, one-directional, right? Like, say, if, if um, a game like Axie Infinity, right, is giving out lots of rewards to incentivize um, players to come into the game, 
That doesn't necessarily mean that long term that game's not going to be sustainable. <coughs> I mean, certain examples of games has happened that way, um, but incentives can be designed deliberately to have a flow going in one direction, right? So, so it's no, not necessarily a, coral, uh, a causation. So we have to be really careful. Um, so we do a lot of analysis, um, which Oka can maybe talk a little bit about in terms of player personas. And we're looking at things from a more holistic uh, point of view with um, yeah, different different players doing different things in the economy and how all of those things interact together. And, you know, we're after the the big uh, sum total of, of all the economic activity, basically, right? Like the equivalent of the GDP, like, what, you know, what is what is the economy doing in general? Is it growing? Is it shrinking? And, and what kind of stimulus do we need to put into that economy to, to make it work the way we want it to work? I, I could add one thing on this. So, so this is, um, this is probably like a really, one of, one of my biggest things that I, I try to wrap my head around. Um, so, there is no one size fits all, right? When it comes to when it comes to a game uh, and 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 games in general, right? You have to consider three distinct things. The first one is what platform, you know, is this going to be on? Is it going to be on mobile? Is it going to be on PC? Is it going to be on console, right? So that right off the bat poses three distinct challenges. Whether it's from a legal perspective, whether it's from you know a token integration perspective. Um, so right off the bat, that's one thing to consider as a challenge um, for a Web three game. The second one is the genre. There is no such thing as a, a, a single, dual, or triple currency that could fit each genre, right? Uh, MMO could have three currencies. Um, a roguelike could have two currencies. A casual game like a, like a match three could have one currency, right? Or two currencies. And each one of these genres have different types of core loops, right? To Mark's point, right? You know, how do we engage users? How do they keep them inside that forever wheel? It, it's it's, it's, it's important to note that when you're designing these things is to understand the genre of the game because there are different types of friction points or different ways the economy is going to work um, based on the different types of faucets and sinks within the game in correlation to the currencies that are available, right? So if we look at Web3 games and look at Axie, right, they had two on-chain currencies. Theoretically, theoretically, I'm not suggesting this was something that they, they should have done or not one of them, but theoretically, they could have had one on-chain, one off-chain, right? and then run their economy by that. And that makes a big difference. And that's the third point, which is a challenge is what's the, what chain are you using, right? Like, is it going to be on Polygon? Is it going to be on Ethereum? Is it going to be on Arbitrum? Is it going to be on Avalanche? And then how many currencies do you want to have within that that is on-chain and off-chain? And how does that integrate? And how do users extrapolate the value that they put in into a token that they can then use? And that's a challenge on its own because we have to understand that we need to remove as much friction as possible for users coming in to engage with the economy, to, to have fun. And then if they want to cash out, they have it, right? And there's different mechanisms for these type of things, right? So I don't want to dive too in because I could spend another hour and a half discussing, let's say, play, player, uh, players coming in and trying to figure out, you know, what, how the best bosses and sinks. But um, when, when, when we're designing these, these economies, right, and trying to balance these things, we need to consider those three things, you know, uh, primarily to understand which direction we need to go in, and then from there, understanding how the game is going to work um, as a whole moving forward. And, and I guess I'll, I'll let Oka tap in here for the persona stuff because I know he he loves this. Yeah, I, c I can talk a bit about that. I just want to say how hard it is to be on a spaces with Mark because when Mark was talking about level design 
and you know Mario's jump. I'm like, okay, I'll add on to that. How you know they introduce the player, uh, the the mechanic to the player in a safe environment, and then they remove the safety net by adding you know um, moving platforms, for example, with no ground. And then Mark was like, in the FPS example, he was like, yeah. And then they put you in front of a stationary target, and then a moving target. So I was like, okay, can't add that. And then later, when Mark was uh, was also talking. Um, he was also, t- I, I can't remember now, but he was talking about something else. And I was like, okay, I'm going to add on to that too. And then Mark actually said exactly what I was going to add to that. So it, it's very hard being on a, on a spaces with Mark. But yeah, to, to add a bit into the, the analysis side of things. Um, so we use a lot of machinations modeling where we map out sort of like the game's loop. And then we integrate the different player personas into the model. And then we basically create variations uh, of different players going into the loop um, based on different kinds of behaviors that they have. And the outcome of the result is obviously different because of the different uh, behaviors and motivations. But then we run thousands of simulations of different players with these behaviors going through uh, you know this this loop, and even even processes such as like you know like Emilio was saying the the mechanisms for cashing out you know decentralized exchanges for example, and and then seeing you know how the token is and and whether it's balanced or not. Oh, I remembered the other thing actually when Mark was talking about like you know token balance. I was like, okay, I'm gonna add to that that you know a, a game might have its own objective. So just because it's not balanced, you know, it, it might be trying to work towards a certain goal. And Mark was talking about how you know actually was doing that for incentivization purposes. So yeah, again, we use the model to sort of see you know is it meeting the game's objective at the moment or not. And also the game's long-term goals and also the different, um, let's say it's not balanced for any reason um, or, or it's not achieving the goal. What are the different levers that we can change or what are the different personas we can entice to maybe come into the game or behave differently or, or you know, um, increase the source from a certain uh, gameplay mechanic or gameplay content or, you know, incentivize players to sync through a, a different mechanic. What are these levers that we can play with to get, you know, the, the game to achieve its goals while also uh, adhering to these players' different behaviors and motivations? Love it. And I, I put into my notes here too, next time we're doing Adam Oka space, ask Oka the question before Mark kind of moving forward here. So I've, uh, I've got that very important note, got that very important note there, but those are all great insights here. Um, and then next question I got, bring Emilio back into the, into the equation here. How does behavioral economics play a factor in game design, especially in web three? So this is, um, so I guess for me, this is something that I, I hold dear is when we try to understand player behavior or how to, um, not the course, but I would say it's, it's try to understand why users do certain things and what props them to do certain things, right? And behavioral economics is a great way to understand patterns or, or pattern recognition amongst users when they are presented with options or choices, right? So for example, one of my favorite ones is like the anchor effect. So traditionally humans, uh, as humans, we are, we are, um, we are caught in the back of our mind, we, we use a cognitive thing that kind of enables us to use or to try to price stuff or anchor stuff to a certain price point. If the number, if it's a number that we've seen regularly, right? So for instance, a dollar 99 or 99, right? So that number 99, even though it could be 999 for us, it's less than a hundred, but theoretically it is a hundred. 
So these types of price point um, paradigms is what allows us to understand how to cost affect certain items in a game. Um, and then from a Web3 perspective, it's how do we want to use that price point to kind of, you know, enable users to participate in something that traditionally they would not have, right? So if I look at ETH, for example, if I were to say, you know, oh, this item costs 0.01 ETH, you know, it's, it's, it, for us, we use that 0.01 as like a cent. Theoretically, we're used to that price point, right? But, you know, looking at ETH, it's like 30 bucks. So I think um, behavioral economics is an untapped area within the Web3 framework that will allow us to really hone in on having users participate in certain uh, actions or call to actions that otherwise would have not been deemed possible based on you know, the current Web2 frameworks. So as the space is developing over time and especially how games are developing, I think this type of strategy or this type of um, understanding of the personas and understanding what enables a user to participate in, 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 in an action and why, and how we can correlate that to traditional Web2 frameworks of monetization will enable us to really, you know, monetize better, I guess, but obviously understanding how we can reward users by participating in this and making sure that the value perception of engaging in a certain action is rewarded um, and the reward that's associated with that is better than what they would have done otherwise. Love it. And guys, get your questions ready. We're getting ready to be at the end of the space. We've got up to two Mocha IDs to give away here for some of the best questions asked. You're participating, you're engaging with the space. Um, and again, I got, I got another question here for Jerry and for the rest of the team as well. But I'm going to start with Jerry here. Which, what innovations are we seeing in the space that could change the way we think about token design? Uh, thanks, Squiddy. Uh, great question. So two innovations come uh, to my head. The first is ERC-6551 uh, token bound accounts. And the second would be the non-official but ERC-404, um, the semi-fungible token standard that has launched recently. So let me expand a bit on uh, ERC-6551. So this is known as token bound accounts. And they are smart contracts that have their own address associated or managed with a specific NFT. So this is really interesting because you can think of any NFT as a mini wallet and it opens up a lot of possibilities such as NFTs are able to store assets compared to having your wallet holding all your assets. So for example, a loyalty card can receive bonuses, airdrops and rewards and preserve them if sold. A decentralized ID uh, can store encrypted user data and it can become a proof of uh, KYC which, you, which will allow you to quickly pass like compliance KYC requirements. Um, an NFT can also own multiple NFTs under it. So this can represent, let's say, a RPG character. It owns armor, weapons, and other things, and they can be bundled together, then unbundled as well. You could also use a separate wallet that collects rewards from tokens, locked in, in, in staking, and that as a bundle as an NFT asset can be sold separately. So this allows us to really create lots of interesting mechanics and different ways we can own our asset and expand the capabilities and use cases uh, that we can see across the ecosystem. So how marketplaces, how wallets, and how other dApps are trying to uh, utilize this. So that's uh, ERC-6551 in a nutshell. Now the second one, um, is what's launched recently known as ERC-404. So it's not an actual Ethereum standard that has gone through the, the formal EIP process, 
but the name pays tribute to the uh, 404 error. So it breaks conventional standards on how fungibility, is how fungibility and its fragmented components are perceived. So this ERC-404 token can play the both fungibility and non-fungible role in the same contract. So what this means is that if you own a whole token, then you have an NFT. If you own fractions of that token, you don't have the complete asset. So you don't have the NFT, but you have the fungible token to it instead. So what this means is that you can, if you own the fraction of the token, you can still benefit from the upside or the downside of the asset as you own a representation of it. So this is an interesting solution to the space because there's been lots of attempts to fractionalize within our space, um, like uh, NFTX, where you can deposit punks and you get punk fungible tokens, but that has been slow to adopt. Um, that's really useful because many people have a desire to own punks, but they're notoriously expensive, um, but very uh, uh, one of the first and most valuable NFT assets within the space. And another interesting protocol that had attempted fractionalization is Flooring Labs uh, last year. So if you had deposited your NFT uh, like a Mochaverse and you get X number of uh, Mew Mochaverse tokens, and those can be traded to have some, uh, some underlying value. This Flowing Lab is sort of successful at the moment as there are incentives in which their token FLC is helping to incentivize liquidity uh, for, their, for their protocol. <clears throat> so with 404, there are lots of interesting use cases because we can apply them to high value art and collectibles. We can apply them to real world assets in, in which whole values and sub values can be traded and also very interesting applications within gaming in which different components of what you own can be uh, exchanged back and forth. Awesome, very cool. This has been an amazing space so far. I've gotten through all of my questions here. And again, we wanna open it up to the space. Again, if you've got a question, drop it in the comments. I've got one right now that I wanna to ask to the floor here. We could do almost like a little bit of a rapid fire bit. And again, really great day for Adamoka. Some big things going on. I pinned the, the second tweet that I pinned to the space uh, big rebrand over there from Rev Motorsports, now rebranded as the Motorverse. They've got a mega space coming up in about four minutes. So we're going to be able to kind of funnel people over from this one over to that space. Make sure you set that RSVP. But first, I've got a question from I've got a question from GG at 3GGBun, which is a great one. This is open to anybody. Which game would you reckon ha had a great mix of game design and tokenomics and what worked well? Anything that you guys have maybe seen from a distance or have played? I want to steal Mark's answer and say big time, but because um, I, I know I know we always praise big time as some as 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 a as a game um, that did something very interesting in terms of how they work with time and and the forging of assets. So for me, I would say um, they've done something quite interesting and very well um, as as probably one of the front front uh, front end side of, of of tokenomics and game design. I, I can also add to that as the person um, who's been really, um, you know, playing a lot of games, focused on a lot of games um, in the Web2 space, and then moving to Web3 and learning from, you know, all my colleagues, um, 
I can definitely say keep an eye out for Mochaverse and Motorverse. Lots of very interesting stuff is happening over there. Excited to really dive into that space next. Really cool. Racing, man. Racing's definitely been a thing kind of at that intersection of, you know, gambling and, and sport and asset ownership, you know, in the real world when it comes to, you know, you've got the owner of the of the car and the owner of the, the team and you've got the driver and you've got the fans. I think there's a lot of kind of correlations to that. So I'm really excited for that space, which is kicking off in two minutes. You guys are doing some really awesome stuff here over in Animoca. And GG, appreciate that. That was a great question. Again, any other questions too? I know that's uh that's definitely worthy of a of a mocha ID, I'd say. Um, so definitely a winner in that regard here. We got about two minutes left. I want to uh, want to open it up to the floor. Again, my name is Squiddy. It's been an honor to moderate this space. I'm the VP of Culture over at Superfine. I'm the community maestro of, of Web3 Gaming. Uh, roles that I take very seriously. It's an absolute pleasure to have been building in the space with you all. Um, any final words from the Animoca team and people up here? This has been really insightful. I've certainly learned a lot about tokenomics and game design and how they kind of blend together. And want to open up to the floor if anyone has any final words. Maybe we'll shoot over to Mark here, put you on the spot here. Oh, did, did X just die? Can anyone hear me? Guys, uh, pump, pump, some, pump some fists here. I'm, hear me I'm here. here. I'm here. Sorry, I missed your question, Sweetie. I just wanted to see if you have any um any final words here to kind of wrap up the space. Uh, this has been really insightful. It's been a great time here. And any closing remarks? Uh, it's it's been awesome. I, I could we could talk about this stuff all day. Um, I'm sorry, Oka, that I stole a bunch of your answers. But um, yeah, we're gonna we're awesome. gonna hop onto the the rev space now, and um, yeah, we're gonna talk about interoperability in the motorverse. So there's just some exciting things to talk about there. So yeah, I hope everyone can join us over there too. Awesome. Well, the Rev space is getting over to start right now. I know Will's coming up. He wanted to uh, maybe wants to say hi, maybe uh, pump and promote that space. But again, look at the pin tweet. I, it's the only pin tweet now because I removed this one. Uh, Motiverse, they just rebranded. So again, th that mega space is diving shortly. Uh, Will, any, any good segue as we kind of move over to the Motiverse space? And pleasure to meet you, Will. Nice to meet you too, mate. Um, no, just it's a really exciting day for us because we've just rebranded. So that's why I'm bang on time for the next space. It's good to hear people referencing what we're up to. Um, what just catching the tail end of what you guys are talking about there, just you know, it it really feels like we're starting to nail web three game design and the sort of things that are really gonna take hold. And yeah, it's a pretty exciting moment uh for web three, especially with you know what looks to be the beginning, I don't want to say the, the B word just yet, but it looks to be the beginning of a, uh, you know, a good right. season. Does it rhyme with Schmoll? You know? does, does it rhyme with Schmoll, Will? It doesn't. I think you knew what I meant. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, again, excited to have you again. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining. Uh, GG, you're the winner of Amoka ID. I appreciate the question in the comments. I appreciate Animoca for uh, allowing me to moderate such an awesome conversation. The link is pinned up to the top to join the Motiverse, newly rebranded Motiverse, awesome name, slick, smooth.
precise. It's got that beautiful little Animoca affiliation right next to it too. Their mega space is starting right now. So if you guys want to keep the conversation rocking, you want to hear what they've got going on right here. Awesome project. Let's go ahead and dive into that space. I know I'm going to be jumping in to get a little listen here too. I see a lot of my friends that are out here joining the space to support. Much love and appreciation. Thank you again, Animoca. Thank you to these amazing speakers. And catch you guys on NFT Twitter, baby. We're out here, we're around, and let's all keep doing our part, playing our role, supporting the projects that we love, and, and take care of each other. So this was really an amazing space. Thank you so much, and see you guys in the Motiverse Megaspace starting right now. Thank you, everybody. Have a fantastic day.